Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station. Good morning and welcome to Community Connect with Edwina and Greg McHenry on OCRFM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast. We were also streaming live at all the W's ocrfm.org.au. I'd like to acknowledge the Wadawurrung people who are the traditional owners of the land we're recording on today and pay my respects to their elders, both past and present. We have first chat today is with Sophie Harrington, and Sophie is the Chief Operating Officer for No FASDI in Australia, and she's actually located in Western Australia, but this is a universal problem, and so it doesn't matter where you are, we're going to say hello to Sophie and uh, get her to talk about that as a universal problem. G'day, Sophie, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Greg. How are you? All right. Now, I've introduced this no FASD, but I haven't told anyone what FASD is. So I think oh. we might start off by talking about that. What is FASD? Yeah, that's a great place to start. So FASD stands for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. Um, you may have known it from years and your listeners may know it from years gone by as Fetal Spectrum, sorry, Fetal um, Syndrome Disorder but it's now from 2016 has been named in Australia as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So it's a diagnostic term um, and it's used to describe the impacts on the brain and the body um, for individuals who've been prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, FASD is a lifelong disability um, and individuals with FASD, because it's an, a spectrum disorder, they will experience different challenges um, to sort of lesser and greater um, depth, but usually really impacts their daily living. Um, and they may have issues with sort of motor skills, physical health, learning, memory, attention, communication, um, emotional regulation. There's a, no, a number of different areas that they can be impacted. But basically, it can only be caused by alcohol. But it sounds as though it's uh, around an autism spectrum, Sophie. Is that it can be very frequently misdiagnosed as um, on being on the autistic spectrum disorder. Um, and even more confusingly, FASD can be co-diagnosed with autism as well. Um, so there are many aspects that are very similar. Um, the big difference being obviously that FASD is only caused by alcohol, whereas ADSD, uh, autism spectrum disorder, isn't. Um, and um, it's, it's a lifelong disability that has more implications than autism, I would suggest, and is actually two and a half times more prevalent than autism, but isn't known. It is two and a half times more prevalent. Does that mean that we've got a high incidence of people drinking alcohol? Is it male-driven or female-driven, and people are drinking during the course of pregnancy? Well, the bloke's not pregnant. It's a girl, isn't it? It is, it is. So still um, emerging research um, around the area of the male sperm and the impact on the sperm of alcohol. And there's a lot of research coming out about that now. But to date, what is known is that FASD is only caused from prenatal alcohol exposure during the pregnancy. So it is with the woman. Um, but we're always very keen at No FASD Australia to make sure people are, are understanding that um, prenatal alcohol exposure and a woman drinking is not usually a woman drinking alone. So there are supports around people um, or people um, are usually with someone when they're drinking alcohol. Um, and there could be many reasons uh, why somebody might drink alcohol during pregnancy. Uh, 
we know that around about 50% of pregnancies in Australia and generally universally um, are actually unplanned. So often a woman will actually drink alcohol when she doesn't know she's pregnant. Um, or they won't know the harms of the alcohol because we're told don't do things. But as independent women in this day and life, like you want to know why not to do things. And that message often isn't clear. And of course, there's another group of people who may actually need support to stop their drinking because there may be a dependency. So there are a number of reasons why women continue to drink during pregnancy or have drunk during pregnancy. If they have been drinking during pregnancy, uh, I know that they have chemical dependency units in hospitals for women who have been using illicits or other drugs. Do they have uh, any special units for women who may have been drinking in early stages of pregnancy, but then realise the, well, what they're doing to their bodies and to the fetus, that they can then dry out or do whatever needs to be done? That's a different aspect, I guess. It is, it is. And, it, and it's a really good question. I'm afraid I'm not actually informed in that clinical space to be able to give you a response to that. Um, what we generally do know is that health professionals are often, well, let's say from a research base, around about 43% of alcohol, uh, profession, alcohol professionals, of allied health professionals when asked, actually said they were uncomfortable discussing alcohol with a pregnant lady. Um, so it's often a really difficult conversation for people to have, it's believed. Um, as a mother um, and as somebody who did drink alcohol during pregnancy, um, I would love somebody to have had that conversation with me to potentially prevent it um, having a child who has FASD. So um, it's, a, it's a big conversation. That beggars belief. Why would a professional medical person not want to talk about such relevant things? Yeah, and it's and it's important, I guess. You know, when I'm mentioning stats, the, these are based on research in 2016 and 2018, with the recent research um, around uh, the information collated from health professionals. Um, I agree with you, and I hear you, and and I would say yes. Why would you struggle to ask or to talk about something like that? Um, there is a, a tool that health professionals can use, which is called the Audit C, um, and that actually can gather information from a mother during her pregnancy, early stages and throughout, as to how much alcohol um, she may consume um, during her pregnancy. Um, but there are still yeah, nearly 50% of people who, when asked, said that they felt uncomfortable having the conversation. And I think it's about how to have the conversation and the yeah, what's really important for us to know is that whilst we know that the prevalence of FASD in Australia is likely to be more than twice that of autism um, and collectively more impactful and impacts more people than autism, cerebral palsy. Um, oh, my mind's gone blank for a second. Um, a number of other disabilities. Um, let me let me just reference that point. Um, so it's more more people are affected by FASD an autism spectrum disorder, spina bifida, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome and SIDS combined. So whilst we know that, um, and that's a massive startling piece of information, which is, is proven and I can provide all evidence to anybody who would like to see it, the research around that, the message is still not clearly out there. Um, you will be aware, I know, Greg, around the wonderful success on Friday last week of the labelling campaign that's been happening, you know, this started yeah. a decade ago. 
so it's our government is you know is amazing like it's fantastic in australia that we're actually going to be the first government that's going to be mandating this this is fantastic to have a, a an approved visible warning label on alcohol um products but it just it's now you know it's only in 2020 that this is happening and not after a lot of um you know lobbying from different industries to try to make sure it didn't happen so the knowledge is out there yeah well i'd like to have a bit of a dig at the industry because the main people you know drink wise the people who uh or the industries who are against it drink wise is a mob that um, they try and claim to promote responsible drinking or whatever else. Well, we don't really want responsible drinking from everyone. We want people to be reasonable if they do have a drink. Um, I'm not sure whether you're aware of them. Do you ever watch the TV when the footy or the cricket's on or anything like that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Have you ever seen the advertisement where there's a a, 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 a pot of beer or a big glass of beer in the middle of your screen? And it's saying, "Don't miss a game, don't miss a goal, or don't miss a ball." How does yeah. that make you feel? Does that make you feel thirsty, or make you feel like stopping to drink? That's drink-wise for you. Mm-hmm. They've got all this yeah. subliminal stuff going on. Yet they're the ones, or it's the prime people behind those industries who are jacking up about the cost of how much it's going to cost them to label their product. What about the cost of it to the country in terms of? Of the FASD, is there is there any um, any economic costing being done on that, Sophie? Yeah, there absolutely has. Um, in terms of um, being able to give you some figures today, um, I know that you know you're talking something like you know thirteen or say three million a year. You know, as a guesstimate, is the sorts of costs that it um, that were reported by Fansound when they were talking about the the cost to um, Australia generally um, that's a very conservative um, estimate when you talk about all of the different areas of government that individuals with FASD come into contact with um, in terms of the labeling you know there's there's talk from um, different bodies and I won't name people um, but different bodies are there being you know, 400 million a year or 400 million cost to change the labels well, from the seven different independent studies that were conducted by Fanzans into costings, um, you know, it proves that actually the costs are going to be nowhere near those overinflated amounts. Um, there are there's a lot of misinformation out there. I don't want to get myself into hot water with this conversation, but let's no, just say the leave that to me. <laughs> it's actually the cost to the people that is important, and. And I think the um, the support, support around people that have problems with drinking or, you know, pulling your mates up and saying, you've had enough. It's not funny yeah. anymore. Mm. And it's, you know, we know that the, the incidences of women drinking, if they are supported by their partner, it's some very different stories. So 30, 40% of people surveyed said that, you know, they were far less likely or they would cease drinking if they had the support of their partner. Um, there's been different people who've come out in the media and said, you know, as a, as a husband or a partner of somebody who's pregnant, that they're not going to drink whilst they're pregnant. Um, and there's the Pregnant Pause campaign that FAIR, the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, have been running, um, which really just says, let's just take a pause, let's support our friends and, you know, and our 
partners in this time when none of them are carrying a baby. So, um, and the support, as you say, Edwina, like the cost to community. Um, we know that people who have FASD have 19% more chance of being involved with the criminal justice system. We know that there are very high statistics in terms of the care system um, because raising a child with FASD when they have very complex behaviours is an incredibly challenging um, experience and life experience too. Well, you've made mention of that, that you were drinking during your pregnancy, Sophie, so you've got first-hand experience of that. I have, and I think um, I've only recently just started to share my story, Greg um, and Weena. Um, the It was just over two months ago now that we actually got the diagnosis for my son. And um, ironically, I mean, I've been probably from he was the age of about four. Um, we'd been searching and going to different professionals, different health professionals, trying to work out why our son wasn't perhaps behaving how we thought he would. Like he his values didn't mesh with our family values and they still don't. He's 14 and a half now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with everything we were doing and all the, the different parenting strategies that we tried from positive parenting and lots of many different positive models just didn't seem to gel with him. And um, we'd taken him to a number of different professionals. It actually took until I joined No FASD Australia a couple of years ago. And I was doing my research to be a community educator that I read for the first time ever because nobody ever asked me about my alcohol intake during my pregnancy. And dare I say, I believe I was never asked because I didn't fit a stereotype. So I'm not Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. I'm not of a lower socioeconomic class. And because of that, there was this association and assumption that, oh, it must be fine. She wouldn't have drunk during pregnancy. No one had that conversation. And I so wish they had. Um, so from my perspective, um, you know, I joined No FASD, I was doing my research, and for the first time ever I read that there was no minimum threshold for alcohol exposure. So there was no minimum amount of, that I could have drunk that could have caused prenatal alcohol exposure. Um, and I'm happy to share my personal story because I think there are thousands of women around Australia and millions, I dare to say, around the world who have no idea potentially that they they could need some support for their child and for themselves. Um, My exposure to my son's exposure were on two occasions before I was six and a half weeks pregnant. Um, And my husband and I were out having a meal and drink with friends. You know, it wasn't a crazy evening. It was a couple of evenings where I drank, you know, I guess what we class as binge drinking would have been more than five years on those nights. Um, The National Health and Medical Research Council guidelines at the time whether you could have, so this is pre-2009, whether you could have two units of alcohol up to five times a week. So I can still see myself now, and I smile when I say it because it just seems so ridiculous, but I would pour myself one unit of alcohol on a Friday night as my treat because I could have had up to 10, but thought, oh, I won't do that, I'll have one. So I have no idea if that had an impact on my son, but I, I do know that the two occasions before I knew I was pregnant certainly had. Um, and I'd say because of my lower level drinking um, and there wasn't you know, the high level throughout the pregnancy, he does have FASD. He has severe impairments in four or five neurological domains at the moment. Um, we're waiting for further testing. But he lives a reasonably uh, ordinary and typical life, if you like, but with a lot of supports and he will always need those supports. So. Yes. How are the diagnoses going? Is it is it a a prolonged process or are people now as in the medicals 
um, now on top of it and understand it? Or how does, how does it actually go? What would your advice be? Other than the fact that you don't drink during it, if, you've listened, if we've got somebody out there listening, a young mum or whatever, how do they tag it or what do they do? What's, what should they be doing? They go to their GP and then what? They do. So I think probably the first few things that there is, um, I work for No Fast D Australia and No Fast D Australia have a helpline. It's supported by the Department of Health. Um, so we're supported as an organisation to run a line seven, helpline seven days a week. Um, and also to have a website where people can go to access the most up-to-date research and information. There's a huge range of resources on there. Um, and No Fuzzy was set up by a mother who had adopted a child, Sue Myers, um, and who from grassroots knew there was no supports in Australia. So it's a really a grassroots organisation which has grown um, over the last few years, certainly. Um, now, I would say to anyone who's listening to this who is currently pregnant or in the early stages of their pregnancies and is seeking help, I would encourage you to call the No Fans D helpline. Um, would you like that number now, Greg, or should I give that at the end? Oh, well, you can give it now. I think, I think I've, I've got it here as 1-800-860-613. yes, that's right. Okay, um, we'll give that out and I'll be putting that on the, because we'll be podcasting this, Sophie, so I'll put that on the podcast. And the website is nofasd.org.au. So we'll publicise that. Wonderful, thank you. So I would say to anyone, sorry, Edwina, to, to anyone who's concerned, I would say give the helpline a call. Robin's at the end of that helpline and she will be able to give you some advice, some support and encourage you to, to speak to your GP in the first instance. Um, and I think the biggest thing that we do know is that stress is a major factor um, during pregnancy. So if you are concerned, it's easy for me to say I'm not currently pregnant, but try not to stress too much about the situation. Um, if you're able to stop, then I would encourage you to stop your alcohol consumption now. Um, but if you're unable to uh, you know, cease your alcohol consumption, go and get some support from someone that can support you through it. Um, if you have been through pregnancy and you have a child and you're reflecting as you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, you know, there's a real risk that that did happen for me, that I did actually um, drink alcohol. Again, I'd encourage you to call the helpline um, because there are many steps that you can take to help come to that conclusion. And I mentioned the website before because there's a section on there for parents and carers. Um, there are fact sheets and checklists that you can use to help you run through some of those signs that you think could potentially be FASD. So it's a really clear descriptors of what FASD is and how to look at some of the challenges. Um, and uh, in terms of diagnosis, Greg, um, with regards to getting a diagnosis, there's some amazing centres and some amazing people out there who can offer diagnosis. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, um, there are usually quite big wait lists. So, you know, usually in the excess of at least 12 months, um, frequently. The first step really is for somebody who wants to pursue a diagnosis is to have as much information as they can to hand. Um, unfortunately, when you go to visit a GP, if they are aware of FASD, and many are, and there's some wonderful resources on the FASD Hub website, that's fasdhub.org.au, um, I think it is. I hope I've got that right. Um, but if you Google fasdhub, you'll find it. Um, and that's for clinicians and people that want clinical information too. Um, but uh, 
there's some great resources for GPs, but also a list of potential people that you can go to who are FASD informed to get a diagnosis. And no FASD can also help you with that process too. Um, just know it's a lengthy process. Just know that it is well worth pursuing. And I say that as a parent of a child with FASD who has recently been, you know, been able to get a diagnosis um, because it can be quite life-changing, to be honest, for your young person, but also for yourself as well. With your young person, the, the future, what does that hold in terms of now that the, now it's known, are there any special uh, therapies or anything that go along with it or is it, um, that's the way it is? Look, that's a really good question. So I think the biggest thing I would say is that whilst FASD is a lifelong condition and because we know that the damage is done in utero, um, you know, neuroplasticity doesn't apply in the same way that it would be if it was something like an acquired brain injury in an accident or something like that. Um, because the damage was done in that very early stage when the, the pathways were being formed. Um, but what I would say is there is hope. There certainly is hope. And children can learn. They just learn differently. The earlier you can get the diagnosis, absolutely the better, because early intervention can make a massive difference. Um, in the time that you're waiting for a diagnosis, uh, keep on doing all of the positive things you can do with your child and getting the support and advocating for them. The, the Probably the biggest contention at the moment is that um, you, you can get support for FASD, for an individual who has a FASD diagnosis um, through the NDIS. But it, again, it can be quite a complicated process. Um, but FASD doesn't actually currently attract support through most education departments. So whereas a child who has autism diagnosis can get support, whereas a child with FASD can't get that financial support. I'm pretty sure as the awareness of prevalence changes and increases, and I'm pretty sure following the Senate inquiry that we've recently spoken at, along with a number of other organisations, um, as well as the new uh, labelling that's now won through, um, but also the fact that the guidelines are being updated by the NHMRC um, and the Department of Health have invested quite heavily this year, just recently, uh, 25 million into a general um, awareness campaign. That's the first, and that's probably one of the biggest government investments from the health department around the world. So that's really quite fantastic. So things are gonna change. It's, we're definitely on the right side of um, raising awareness about FASD. With mums who are looking to be, or potential mums, give the grog up before you start, before Absolutely. you start practicing? Absolutely, and, and you know, I can, we've got some one-liners that I probably won't be able to throw off the top of my tongue right at the moment, but things like go dry before you try in terms of alcohol, um, you know, and if you're planning to get pregnant, don't drink. If you're drinking, use contraception. And I think that has to be the advice. And only last week um, when I was speaking to uh, one of the minister's advisors and having a conversation in that space, um, you know, somebody in their 30s who sort of, you know, volunteered at that point, gosh, my, my friends continue to drink when they're trying. Just we would never have thought of that being a time where you have to be concerned. And I said quite loudly, I am one of those people, you know, and I wasn't actually trying at the time. I am an example of one of those people. So, yeah, go dry before you try, for sure. I'm going to ask, and it's Probably, I don't know how you'll take this, but you must have felt a kick in the guts a little bit when you get the diagnosis because you've done what you've done. 
is there support for you to go through it? Because there'd be a certain amount of grief, I'd imagine, from your point of view. Yeah. You know, Greg, I'm really glad you've asked that question because it's something I don't always think to say. And what I would say for me is when I, probably my kick in the gut, if you like, was when I read the information about the minimum threshold. It was like all of the world just opened up and I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, we've taken my son for so many different assessments and everybody has said, oh, he'll grow out of it. He'll be fine. He's just a boy. Um, you know, all these kind of different things. And, you know, yes, he's challenged here, he's challenged then. Um, but I just felt as a mum, from when he was very tiny, I knew there was something. And I kind of appeared as an over-anxious helicopter parent, and I knew I wasn't being. Um, my intuition told me otherwise. So whilst that realisation that it could be alcohol um, and my fault, if you want to use another word, but me being the cause of that, yes, that was hard. But once I'd made that realisation, um, I realised I was in a really, really important place in my world um, in terms of working for NoFASD because I had amazing support around me, people who completely understood who were there for me. My husband was alongside me. You know, he understood. He was there in the journey. He knew that it wasn't an intentional um, step that was taken. Um, so getting the diagnosis, to be honest, was actually a relief because all of these things I've thought for such a long time, I could say, you know what, now I understand. And for years, if I'm really honest, and I'll be quite blunt, I thought I was a bit of a rubbish parent um, because I tried all these things and I'd read all these books and my son didn't conform um, to what I was doing. Whereas I actually realized when I got the diagnosis, you know what, I think I've actually done really quite well. <laughs> um, or we've done really quite well as a family because he currently is still engaged in school. Um, he currently doesn't have any issues with the criminal justice system and currently his mental health is pretty good too. So, so far, so good. That's wonderful. And it's, it's the relief of knowing how to work with, you know, your son to bring him to his fullest potential. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think the school that my son goes to are fairly fed up with me now because um, when I get those several letters home a week that talk about his attention and his talking during class and he's not listening, he's not following instruction, he's not doing work, I can continually remind the teachers that, well, this is because of this and this is a brain injury, this is brain damage and these are the impairments. How about we work with strengths and you can see how he will shine. So, um, yeah, being able to advocate and know that you're doing it with research and knowledge behind you makes for a much more powerful advocate. How are you going with the COVID-19 lockdowns and everything else? How is it over in your area? Well, I feel always a bit guilty talking about COVID because we've been so incredibly blessed in WA. We've been very, very lucky. I think we had two weeks of very uncomfortable times, which were probably nowhere near what you guys have got over there in Victoria. So we were very, very lucky. And if I dare say, it's almost as if nothing's happened here now, other than stickers on the floors to show us that we need to be distant. Look, thanks for that, Sophie. Look, it's incredible that you're able to get to us in such short time to talk. And uh, look, I hope your journey, now that you know more about what it is and where it's going, that it starts to get easier for you. Thank you. Yeah, um, we feel very grateful. And I'm, yeah, I'm sorry for everyone that's having to struggle through the COVID situation over, over in Victoria. I hope you're all managing okay. And we will. Thank you. And we'll give that number out again. What is it, your helpline for no, no FASD? Yep, for NoFansD Australia, it's 1-800-860-613. What's your www as well? 
Yeah, uh, so our website address is www.nofasd.org.au and, and NOFASD is N-O-F-A-S-D. And just to remind our people that FASD is Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. And um, yeah, don't drink and, uh, well, they say don't drink and drive. I suppose we want you to stop drinking before you, what is it? Go dry before you try. No, stay dry before you try. Okay, well, we better go out with that one before we start getting a bit rude. Well, <laughs> thanks very much for that, Sophie. And uh, we really do wish you all the best. Look, we've been talking with Sophie Harrington, who's the, the Chief Operating Officer for No FASG over in Western Australia. And uh, what's the track we're going to be putting on, Sophie? I'm going to suggest K Sarah by the Justice Crew. And... That's on the recommendation of a 15-year-old young man that we work with who has FASD. Kesara by the who? Justice. The Justice Group. Mm. Terrific, Sophie. And all the best. Thank you very much. And thanks for the time today. Good on you. Cheers, Sophie. Lovely to meet you. Bye-bye. Lovely to meet you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station.